If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me back in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Kings. If you have a Bible or a device, you can click on that. 2 Kings chapter, chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Holy Father, thank you so very much for what you're doing in our hearts and lives, and thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for these young people, Lord, and thank you, Father, for uh, these, these teachers, Father, uh, who are pouring into the next generation. And even right now, as we're in this auditorium, in our learning center, Lord, there are volunteers and uh, folks, Lord, who are just blessing and pouring into and nurturing and sharing Bible verses with and, and uh, modeling what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And God, I just pray that you will continue to expand that vision. Thank you, God, for who you are. Now, Lord, today we pray that you open your word to us and help us, oh God, as we grow and develop and encounter you. Um, I pray especially, Father, particularly for that person here today that might be underwater financially. Uh, They're in a tough spot, and maybe they're feeling the, the tension and pressure of desperation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will meet them where they are. Meet all of us today. Uh, Oh, God, I just pray that you'll pull us to your heart. We love you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is our third and final installment in this three-part series that we've entitled Channels. Channels. It really is a, a, a series on stewardship, on finances particularly, But we call it channels for a purpose, not to be cute about it or to have something catchy, but because that one word does capture what we're to be about and what a Christian's attitude toward money should be. That we're not hoarders and we're not collectors and we're not cul-de-sacs, but we're really channels of God's blessing. When we come to Jesus Christ and we give our hearts and lives to him, uh, it's not just about our relationship with him, but it's what, about what he wants to do through every nook, cranny, and avenue of our lives, and how he wants to use whatever he places in our hands uh, to leverage and bless what he's doing in the world. And so stewardship is, is, is not a big, complicated issue. It is holding everything with an open hand to God and asking God, how does he want to use me and the resources that he places in my hand and in my life to expand what he wants done in the world? Of course, he wants to take care of us, but the broader issue is, what does God want to do, and what kind of lifestyle does he want to give me, and how can I be a channel by and through whom God will use to impact and touch and bless the hearts and lives of others. And I really believe that that is the overall teaching in Scripture. Generosity, generosity is the goal of, of the Christian life. God does not want us to be givers who are, you know, arms are twisted and we're guilted into giving and this kind of thing. No, 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 no. The Apostle Paul in that great section on giving, I talked about this last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. The last line of chapter 9 really is the ultimate motivation for giving. When he ends, he ends that section on giving by saying, but thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We give because we're grateful. We give because of the grace of God. 
We write that check, we respond to that need, we, we give to advance the cause of Christ. Why? Because we are grateful to God. That is the ultimate reason why we give. Now, there are two other reasons in the Bible. There's obedience, and I mentioned last week, which was at first not very popular, but the Bible teaches that in essence, technically, we do give to get. That God blesses when we share. Now, that's not prosperity teaching. Uh, uh, It's not that he gives back in the same kind of way that we give, but the blessing is broader, that, that we are blessed because we respond in obedience to God. And that's why, that's why we give. Well, I want to raise the question today. It's a little bit different. You, you, you may not normally hear this kind of message in a stewardship series. But I want to raise the question, but what do we do when we don't know what to do? Or more specifically, what do we do when we're sideways? What do we do when we're upside down? What do we do when we're in financial deprivation and we're painted in a corner? What do we do when we really don't know what to do? All of us remember the financial crises, the economic disaster of 2008. Oh, how we ever remember that. Um, all kinds of bad things happened. In fact, it was the worst economic disaster since the Great Depression of 1929. Uh, Dollar-wise, it was worse. It was worse. Um, It occurred despite the aggressive efforts by the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department to prevent the U.S. banking system from collapsing. And the truth of the matter is that you, you know that crisis really took place because of greed and avarice. That's the reason why the crisis took place. Uh, we did things because we could. The predatory lenders and giving money to people, lending money to people who had no, no, should have never been able to qualify for a loan. But it was cheap, and you kept, you know, doing the domino kind of thing and the smoke and mirror kind of thing with, uh, with resources. And then the chickens came home to roost. And boy, did a whole lot of people get hurt and damaged by the collapse uh, housing prices fell by almost 32%. Put it in perspective, that was more than during the Depression itself. Two years after the recession had ended, unemployment was still above 9%. And some suggest that realistic number is somewhere between 15 and 20%. And so we, we, got, we, got, we got stung by that. And the whole problem with that whole collapse is that a whole lot of innocent people got burnt by it. Folks who managed their monies well and folks who were doing a good job and, and all of this stuff got pink slips. They were downsized. They were, you know, they, 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 the companies closed. They went bankrupt. They were siphoned off. And a whole lot of folks were upside down. The question I want to raise them today is that, you know, you know uh, 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 more specifically with where we are personally, and I guess this may be a rhetorical question, but have you ever been in a bind financially have you ever been destitute now I do know my audience and I do know what side of the city that we live on and our definition of being destitute and broke it may not be the same 
Some of our definitions of being destitute and broke is that I don't want to lose this house. I do have an asset or, you know, I know that means I don't have a cash flow to handle this situation or no, I don't want to dip into my retirement to take care of these needs here or I don't want to take from the college fund. So, but, but what I'm talking about is sure enough broke. Have you been broke? Meaning there's no money nowhere there's nothing. Have you ever been there? And there's some people in our church, despite the zip code that we're in, who knows what this smells like. Have you ever been there? And I share this with you realizing that most of us have never been there, not in recent years. However, it should create a sense of compassion in us for those who have been there and how God wants to use us. Perhaps we can represent Elisha in this story versus the widow. And for those of us who are in the widow's category in this story, we have felt that and we are there right now. We need to take a look at how she walked through this and how she responded to get to a place of wholeness. Well, Being broke and being destitute and having nothing to fall back on is exactly where we find this widow in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And this widow teaches us what to do when you don't know what to do. Uh, There are four lessons that we're going to walk through here, and they're very simple, not complicated. I want to give them to you in an applicational way. The very first thing we have to do is to realize just as she was desperate, we have to embrace our own desperation. You say, well, that seems to be obvious. Oh, not, not really. Not really. We have to embrace the fact that we are desperate. Verse 1 says, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. Now the whole idea is sons of the prophets. These were the prophets that worked with Elisha and had been mentored by Elisha, okay? Just so that you get the context. Elisha had been, uh, was, he had a double anointing on him. Elijah was his mentor. Elijah was caught up in a chariot. God gave a double portion of the gifting that Elijah had to Elisha, and he did twice the miracles that uh, Elijah did. So we're talking about a man who was singularly, powerfully used of God. Again, back to the passage. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Now, the overarching point I want to make here, and then I'll get back to looking at more specifics, is, is, is the fact that uh, do not deny the fact that you are in a desperate situation. Don't deny that. The very first step to getting help and to get delivered is to not deny that you're in a desperate situation. Part of the problem with this side of the city of Atlanta is that we live in zip codes and this kind of thing where everybody's a little bit too concerned about image and what folks think about them. We're very concerned about that. Well, that works against you when you're upside down. And this woman, she is in a desperate place. She has no place to go. First of all, the provider had died. 
her husband had died. Now, we're not talking about insurance policies and stuff to fall back on and agencies that will help the widows and these people who are desperate. They had none of that stuff. Her husband, the provider, had died. Widows were always vulnerable, and the widow of a prophet would have been even more needy during this time. During the time in which he wrote this, to be a widow was terrible. I mean, you had no advocate, nobody go before you, you were powerless, you, you, you had nothing. And so here, this woman says, My husband has served you faithfully, and he's dead, he's gone. So the widow appeals to Elisha on the basis of her her husband's faithfulness to the Lord. Can you help me? So my husband walked with God. My husband served God. My husband feared the Lord. He wasn't irresponsible. But he's dead. He died suddenly. And not only that, she describes her situation, the line that says, the creditor has come to take my children, her two sons, to be his slave. Now the provider's dead, and the children are going to be enslaved. It was, a, it, it was an accepted custom in Israel during this time that if a family could not pay off its debts, by any other means, uh, uh, some of the, of, of the family members, if not all of them, were taken into slavery, worked for the creditor until the debt was paid. Now, you got to picture this. Sit here with this for a second. I know this is ancient stuff, and we can become detached emotionally from it. This woman is a widow. Husband, love the Lord, serve the Lord, faithfully used by God, die suddenly. Her husband died. She's inherited this debt. She has nothing to pay. And they're coming to take her sons. I have nothing to fall back on. I have no recourse. I have a rich uncle. What, 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 what am I going to do? She comes to Elisha. You know, to be faced with financial hardship and challenges doesn't necessarily mean that you, you've mismanaged your money. And we've got to be careful of that. Sometimes we tend to judge other people based upon where we are uh, and, you know, just as, you know, middle, upper middle class folks, we tend to judge their condition. Oh, if you had worked hard, if you had managed your money better, if you had done a better job of this, if, you know, if you had watched the pennies and this kind of thing, this would not have happened to you. Now, sometimes that is the case. Sometimes that is the case. But I got to tell you, there's a whole lot of people, and I ain't talking about in the third world. There's a whole lot of folks in this country who are poor and destitute, and it's not because they didn't manage their money right. There are folks down here sleeping at the line of mission who, quite frankly, yes, they are victims of circumstances beyond their control. 
and they've gotten into that situation. Now, the truth of the matter is probably more of us get there because we did not pay attention to basic stewardship lessons. But this lady wasn't in that condition because, you know, I mean, you say, well, why is she in debt? Well, the Bible didn't say why she's in debt. The debt could have been legitimate, and I'm assuming it is. There's no condemnation here about the debt. She, she inherits this stuff. But I would also have to say here, sort of parenthetically, sometimes God gives us the gift of desperation to break bad habits. And it's a blessing. I tell you that, it's a blessing. When you look back, it's a blessing. I remember I alluded to this last week, you know, those early years of marriage. And, you know, after we've had a couple of years, got these credit cards, we got all this stuff. Yeah, it's wonderful. I knew better, yeah. Chickens are going to come home to roost, but they ain't roosting today. And if you give a dance, you got to pay the band. And learn some very important lesson. Yeah, you're being squeezed right here, Crawford, because of your choices. And it's one of the, it was one of the greatest blessings in my life. Boy, did I learn that lesson. So some of us here, some of us here need to be taking notes now. In the midst of your destitution, you need to be taking notes. Write it down. Right now, don't just say, I ain't going to ever do this again. And then you get out of it and say, shouldn't you do it again? No, write it down. But that's not the case with this woman. So first of all, she embraced her destitution. And I, I just need to tell you that the first step to getting help is to stop lying to yourself about needing help. My goodness, I see this as a pastor. All the uh, People lie to themselves about needing help. They were upside down five years, and now, now because of image management, and they didn't want to say anything, they didn't, they didn't want enough people to know their business or whatever it is, all these people are being hurt. They're going to take my kids, Elisha. Secondly, which is obvious, she was destitute, but number two, she sought help. Listen to verses two through five. She comes to Elisha, and Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all, all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. Now, this is some obvious stuff here, but I want to underscore the obvious. Number one is that what, she, what this woman did is that she opened her heart. She opened her heart. She, and this is what we have to do when we're upside down. We've got to be transparent. She's got to be transparent. She went to Elisha, the one who could help her. I just need to know what the deal is. I... I I'm opening my heart to you. This is my condition. 
I'm not, I'm not, not using verbal equivalents and, and euphemisms and, and things that will make it seem better than you. Now, you, you just need to know the raw truth. Here I am, and this is my situation. And some of us perhaps need to get there. What's the total truth? Not what you want people to believe, but what's the total truth? She was transparent. Uh, Secondly, she submitted to counsel. Now notice, in the narrative, I know you don't argue by silence, but in the narrative, there is no dialogue or negotiation with the ones. She didn't negotiate with Elijah. Elisha. He tells her what to do. He walks through what she has to do. And, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't argue with him. She's not saying, now, wait a minute. You want me to go and get empty vessels from my neighbors and bring them over here. And if I go over there, they're going to have a clue about my business. And you don't mean that at all. And I got a jar of oil and you literally want me to pour. I told you, I just have a jar of oil. I mean, I, I, I don't have anything. I don't have a sliver of protein in the house. I don't have a grain of wheat in the house. I have nothing. We're not cannibals, so all I have are my boys. I don't have anything. Now, she didn't didn't enter a dialogue. She listens. She listens. She doesn't have a better plan. You see, one of the things I've learned in life is this. Sure enough, desperate people are great listeners. Sure enough, desperate people are very teachable. And some of us, we just get hard heads. We're not ready to change. We're not ready to listen. I've actually had people say to me through the years, they've come to me asking for help. Mind you, they've come to me asking me for help. I'll say that again. They've come to me asking me for help. And so I'm praying and I'm giving them my best shot. I'm giving them what I believe is biblical. And then they want to argue with me about the help that I'm giving to them. Then when they leave, I'm the one that needs help. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. Talk to Bob Rowland. He has, he, has, he has reams of stories about stuff like that. I mean, it, it's just absolutely, you know what? It's just a pride game. It's a pride game. And by the way, parents, this is not, I intend to say it, but I feel like saying it. Uh, parents, let me tell you something. When you have a hard-headed child, we have a hard-headed child. You got, you know, the, the child that thinks, confuses exposure with experience. You know, they, they've had the volume of information that they're getting online and what their, what their brilliant friends on Facebook, the same age, are telling them. And they've gone through all of this stuff. And, you know, they don't want to listen to you. You keep telling them they don't want to listen to you. You know the best advice to do? Step back and let the train hit them. <laughs> you know, and, 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 but this woman is at this place. She's not going to repackage the information. My husband is dead. I have nothing, and they're coming to take my sons. What kind of fool am I to sit here and argue with you? All she had in the house, again, was this oil. No doubt the little bit of olive oil 
The only reason why they had oil in the house back then, they used it for two primary purposes. One was to cook. That's off the table because she ain't got nothing to cook. Not she's going to make some olive oil soup. The second thing that they did was they used the oil to light the place for fuel. That's all I can do. So she embraced her desperation. Secondly, she, she sought help. She opened her heart and she submitted to counseling. But thirdly, and here, here's where we're going to park just for a little longer, she executed the plan. She executed the plan. Again, I know we read this, but look, at, look again at verse, verse 3 through 5. Then he said, now I want you to notice the verbs here. He's telling her what to do, not how to feel or what to think. He's telling her what to do. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Get a lot of vessels from your neighbors. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Now verse five. There's no dialogue. There's no saying, sucking her teeth saying, this sounds stupid and ridiculous. There's none of that. She says in verse five, so she, uh, this is what the text says, verse five. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. This is amazing. The very first thing you notice about this woman is that she humbled herself. She humbled herself. He sent her to her neighbors. Now, they weren't dumb. And I hope some of you, I hope, I, I hope a lot of you go to Israel with us this spring. You know, as I was reading this text and preparing for this, it's unbelievable. You'll see these little communities and you can just visualize. It's not like, you know, these subdivisions or gated community over here and a gated community or, or that my neighbors like, you know, we have eight acres here and they're, they're like over here and they, you know. No, they, they were like close together, you, you know, right next to one another. So chances are they had a fair amount of insight into her business. They knew her husband had died. And now she's sending the boys around. She played with the, the boys, played with these other dudes, and they sent them to the, these other houses and asking for vessels. She had to humble herself. She just said, I don't know, man. Can, can I go to the next community and get the vessels? No, I want you to go to those close to you to get the vessels. Uh, let me just say this to you. We're part of a community. And we have to humble ourselves and ask for help and be willing to let people help us. It is my prayer that in this church, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. It is my prayer that in this church, we will never ever look down our noses on anyone who needs legitimate help in any area of their lives. We will not be that arrogant and condescending. 
But we are members of the body of Christ. We're members one of another. And as sure as I'm living and standing up here today, it may not be your issue, but you're going to have a time in your life where you're going to need help too. It's never be that way. Don't talk about people who are struggling. There's no shame in the struggle as long as you're on your path to solution. Now, the shame is when you don't get up and do something. You ought to be shamed at that point. But she humbled herself. She went to these houses. Boys getting these vessels. Now, you say vessels. You know, we're talking, we're talking big old pots and stuff, and not a few. I mean, enough to fill the place. They go and get these, get these things. Now, for most of us, it's interesting, and I struggle with this. For most of us, it is more difficult to ask for help than it is to give it. For most of us, we're there. Most of us, I mean, I, I, I want to be the one giving it. But when you ask for help, the very asking for help is the admission of need. And we don't like people to know that we have need. We don't want to go down in their sight. But by the way, you know, <laughs> dependence is necessary for deliverance, though. That's a biblical principle. Humility is always necessary in order for a need to be met. And he was teaching her, yeah, God, God wants to do this to you, but he wants to do it in a unique way. And by the way, by the way, you know, he's Elisha. I, I read this text and I wonder, you know, why didn't Elisha just go pray? And, you know, she walked into the house and there's, there's all, you know, you got all this food from, from Publix or whatever, whatever they had back then. All this stuff is, is, is here. Everything's great. He could have done that. I mean, he did all kinds of miracles. Why did he do it this way? And I'm going I'm to tip my hand a little bit later on. I think there's a reason why he did it this way. She needed to humble herself. Now, the flip side of this, and I want you to hear this, especially for those of us who, who are helping people. Those of us who have resources and we're helping people, we too have got to get our pride out of the way and make sure that in the process of helping people, we're not asking them to stroke us. Now, aren't you getting a lot of, well, well, listen to what he says here. Notice he said to her, okay, you go out there and get all these vessels and this kind of thing, and you bring them back here, um, all right? Um, and then in verse 4, he says, go in and shut the door behind yourself. Shut the door. Why do you think she, he wanted him to shut the door? What's up with shutting the door? Now, they already know I got a need. I mean, you know, you, you just don't go around knocking on doors and getting vessels, okay? But why shut the door? I, I think that Elisha told her to shut the door because he wanted to provide privacy for the task of pouring the oil. And not everyone needed to know the miracle that was taking place in that house. Let me put it to you this way. I think Elisha wanted her to do it this way to protect her dignity. The point I'm trying to make is this, that when you help people, don't put a spotlight on what you did for them. 
There is a certain kind of help. If, if you don't handle it the right way, you can actually humiliate people. If you want to help them, just help them. You don't have to say, well, look what we did for this person. Look what we did for these folks. Look what we did for these single parents. Look what we did for this. No, just help them. Put the, put the camera down. Just help them. I don't need to write a blog about who I helped. You don't even need to know that I did it. Just help them. And I think Elisha was saying, shut the door, okay? Now, he's not fueling pride. He's protecting her dignity. I want you to know that you have value in the sight of God. And we're not going to put spotlights on this thing and post some video on our website about what we did for the poor widow over there whose husband worked for Elisha. Look at what we did to help her. No, don't do that. Don't, 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 don't do that. That was behind Jesus' words when he said, when you give, give in secret. He was not talking about not giving in worship or people not necessarily knowing that you give, or else that'd be a violation of Scripture. The public giving is all over the Bible. It's not talking about that. But what he's talking about is ostentatious giving. The Pharisees did that kind of thing for people to stroke them. Hey, look how wonderful and generous of an idiot you are. Don't do that. And she had to exercise faith. That's what verses 4 and 5 is all about. It's one thing to sit there and, 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 and hear what you need to do. And you take notes. Yeah, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. I need to do that. You sit down with Kevin Cross and some of his team. And they help you with the financial plan. And they show you how to work all this thing. Through. Yeah, got it, got it, got it, got it. Uh, you don't do anything. Faith, as you've heard me speak, if you've been around fellowship for a while, faith is always in the verb position. There can be no faith apart from obedience. Faith is action. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not some intellectual confidence, some emotional affirmation. Faith is something that you do. So he said, girlfriend, counseling session is over. Get after it. Do it. So she does. She does. Her faith grew as she obeyed. Oh, (laughs) this is amazing to me. All these vessels, we're, we're talking. You gotta go to Israel with us. You, you. This is. I'm helpless here. These vessels. All these vessels are all over the house. I mean, they're everywhere. Everywhere. Mind you, she got this. I, I went online and the, 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 the oil thing was only in the canisters about like this. Now, you know, she's gone. Ain't no way. You're telling me. See, the way I would have done this, y'all gonna fire me. The way, the way I would have done this, I would have said, well, you know, he didn't really mean to fill them all up. Just put a little drop in each one, and maybe that will be the miracle. No. Pour it in there. Can you imagine she poured it in there? 
She poured it in there. I mean, like she's doing the math on this thing here. She said, oh, I ain't, you know, wait a minute. I ain't no physicist or anything, but listen to this. How come this much has filled up this much? She poured it out, and she looked, and it was empty. Then she went to the next one and says, there's nothing in there, but he told me to do it. And she, and this, what? Listen. Provision is always released when we take obedient actions and not before. Every once in a while, God will give you ahead of time. I grant it. But more often than not, the pattern in Scripture, more often than not, is that the provision is not released until you obey. And she obeyed, and the provision was released. You see, she needed to know that God was her source. That's why the miracle had to take place behind closed doors. She and her boys both needed to know that their daddy's faith was not unrewarded. That he feared the Lord. And that God is no man's debtor. David said it, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God is good for his word. And they needed to see that this miracle was not for the neighbors. This miracle was for the stability and the hope and the reputation of God in that family. It was to secure a godly legacy. So as mama poured out the oil, it kept flowing. And as those boys watched it, I can imagine tears coming down their cheeks saying, God will provide for us, mama. God will provide for us. And notice she didn't borrow oil from her neighbors. She borrowed containers from her neighbors. It's important. You would have thought, well, maybe, well, we'll start a GoFundMe account in the community. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that's a wrong, bad thing to do. Sometimes it's a great thing to do. But we'll have a GoFundMe account. Or maybe we'll raise money. We'll have a tilapia fish fry. No? I have the blessing. You just get me the containers. Let me a couple of quick lessons from this, and I'm, I'm almost through this thing here. Um, use what you have. Faithfully use what you have. And God will leverage what you have. You do what he tells you to do. You faithfully do what he tells you to do. And God will leverage the rest. I told you that story last week. I mean, I, um, in the midst, even some of the bad decisions we made in those early years of our marriage, one of the things that we maintained was the fact, and I know there are different views on tithing and grace giving right here in this church, and I don't argue about those things. I do believe in grace giving, okay? Uh, but I believe that tithing is a good place to start. And for whatever reason, I grew up that way. I grew up seeing my parents do that, got some teaching as a teenager on that. 
But all during those early years when I had to make a choice, am I gonna give back to God what I committed to give to him even though I got this need over here? Well, I'm grateful to God. Certainly there were times that I wavered, but when I wavered, God put strength in Karen and says, no, honey, we need to do this. And we did it. You won't lose anything if you do what God tells you to do. I didn't say you won't suffer. Sometimes you will. That'd be a lie. But you'll know his sustaining grace and power. You'll have everything that you need. It's like the loaves and the fish, isn't it? Matthew 14. <laughs> I, I always laugh whenever I read that. I'm, I, I'm like one of the disciples, Jack. I mean, Jesus has been there all day long. These people have probably missed the meal. And it's like 5,000 men, 15, 20,000 people, right? And so they say to Jesus, hey, we probably need to dismiss the group here. It's getting late and, you know, the shops are going to close up and these people need something to eat and we don't have anything to eat. Jesus said, what do you got? Virtually nothing. Well, what do you have? Five loaves and a couple of minnows, man. I, you know, we, we don't said, give it to them. No, I mean, did you hear, you know, maybe we mis, you misunderstood. We, we don't, we, it's, it's like 15,000 people here and we got five loaves, no, give it to them. And he multiplied it. Fourthly, she received what she needed. She received what she needed. God determines when we've had enough, okay? Look at verse six. I pick it up in verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, (laughs) all the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And then look at this line. Then the oil stopped flowing. The oil stopped flowing. I don't want to play with this too much, but you know, God does know when we've had enough. And part of the problem in, 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 in the United States of America, particularly in this city and this part of the city, is that sometimes we're tempted to make assumptions about lifestyle. Sometimes we think that, oh, all I just make these financial goals and what I like to have and I work hard and I hit these targets and this is my number. Well, the problem is that number may not be God's number for you. Don't make that assumption. And it's different for everybody. I don't think there's a prescribed, you know, it all depends on what you can handle. And at various stages in your life, you may be able to handle this much, I mean, and then later on you can handle that much. But if God gave you that much back over here, it would go to your head. It would, you, it would be an idol to you. You couldn't handle it. 
And maybe you guys say, no, 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 Crawford can't. I tell you what, I don't want you living like, what I, you know, I want you to downsize and to encourage you to downsize. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restrict the income because this is where I want you to be. And so the question I think we all have to ask, I've, I've, been, I've been saying this for years here, the question that we ask to, have to ask ourselves is not how much God wants to give me. Not how much money I should have. But we need to ask God, how much do I need? And when is enough enough? The oil stopped flowing when the containers were filled. God says, that's enough. Are you good with that? Are you content? Are you content? If God never gave you another zero more, are you content? Are you satisfied in him? Is he your source? Are you content? Are you content? Sometimes God says no to our financial aspirations because he is more, he, uh, because the, the, the more he gives to us, the more distraction we have. And then, secondly, verse seven, God will make us whole. Verse seven says, and I want you to notice here, it says that she came and told the man of God and he said, okay, she goes, Elisha said, um, you know, we got a lot of vessels. The boys, Lee, Levi and Samuel, they went around and got oil. And we filled the house. I got, I got oil in containers everywhere. Yeah, on top of my bed, it's everywhere. And the oil stopped flowing. What am I supposed to do? She came and told the man of God, and he said, here you go. This is what you do. You are now in the olive oil business. Yeah. What I want you to do is go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you, and I want you to notice the word here. And you and your sons, he didn't say will live on the rest. He said can live on the rest. It's an important distinction. He said, you can live on the rest. Well, what, 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 do, what, do you, what do you mean that? In other words, I think, I think Elisha was saying, no, 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 this is not, you know, this is not uh, a bottomless pit here. Uh-uh, no, no. What, what you're going to need to do is that you're going to need to learn to live on the rest. Now, you can be upside down. However, there's enough money for you to live on for the rest of your life. You can live on this. This is enough. So what you really need to do is to discipline yourself, making sure that what you have lasts. She learned a very, very, very important lesson. You know, it's been my experience that... uh, 
Prosperity is the grand eraser of lessons that we should have learned. You know, often when we recover, we go back to the bad habits. I'm wondering, for example, in terms of, you know, we're beginning to lose some of those lessons from 2008 already. Certain areas of the city, houses are flying off the thing, and before you know it, people are going to start getting sloppy and getting a little lazy and leveraging and taking out second mortgages on the house because of this investment opportunity. I can play the margins here, this is going to happen, this kind of thing. And man, we forget. <laughs> we forget. Elisha didn't want her to forget. Actually, I doubt that this woman, I would imagine if. I mean, I'd put that little thing of oil in my trophy case. Don't forget. Don't forget. Well, let me land a plane here by making some statements. One is, for most of us, we don't find ourselves here. And yet, this text is about compassion. Perhaps God wants us to be Elisha's in other people's lives. And he wants us to be compassionate toward other folks. But secondly, there are a few people here this morning who find themselves either in this situation or perilously close to it. And we need help. And I want to I challenge you just to take the outline of what I've said. Number one, acknowledge. Will you acknowledge the desperate situation or condition that you're in? You can't change until you acknowledge where you are fully, completely. Stop lying to yourself. Stop, stop the verbally racist and all of this stuff. Acknowledge the fact this is where we are. This is where I am at. I I need help. Then secondly, get the help. Go get it. Go run down people. I'm going to put this this text on on, on the screen right here. Uh, You can text to channels. Okay? 31996. Now, in case you're embarrassed to write that down because you don't want your neighbor knowing that you did it, everybody write it down. Uh, You know, just write it down. And uh, Kevin Cross and, and his team here, we're standing ready to, to help as much as we possibly can for those of us who are in a hard situation, obviously without any judgment. Uh, but we need to help each other to get, to get whole, to get whole. And then execute the plan. Once the Lord shows you what to do, do it. Do it. Do it. Change does not come by having accurate information. Change comes when I execute. (laughs) I do something about the truth that I have received. There may be some here today, you've not trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. He's the great giver. But just as this woman in the text, the story that we talked about today, she had to humble herself in order to get her needs met. Some of us will not become followers of Jesus Christ because we do not want to admit and confront the fact that we are sinners. We're lost. We don't want to admit and confront the reality that I have need, I have spiritual need, that I can't make it by myself. And the only way to truly come become a a follower of Jesus, to truly know him, is to acknowledge in your own heart and life that I 
I don't know him. I need him. And I can't change myself. And once you do that, he says, great news. I will come in. I will cleanse you. I will forgive you. And I will make you my child. Let's stand together, please. If we need help, let's get help. Let's get help. Lying and ignoring and deceiving yourself just makes life hellaciously complicated. The freedom that God wants us to have as a church and the freedom that he wants us to have as individuals, it's amazing. I mean, I, I'm not saying this to guilt anybody, but, but you just imagine. Imagine what it would be like to have margin in your life, to have margin financially, to be able to sit in a service or to hear someone share a need, and the Lord tugs on your heart, and you know what you can do? You can open your checkbook, and you can write a check. Isn't that exciting? That you're free. You're out of bondage. You, 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 you have that freedom to advance the cause. You can be generous. Why? Because the shackles are off. And that's what we want for all of us. That's what we want for our families, to know that freedom, to trust them to do that in our lives. I'm going to pray, and at the end of uh, my prayer, there will be uh, Stephen ministers and staff members who are in this service and elders. Would, if you have any spiritual need whatsoever, we would love to pray for you. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, and thank you, O oh God, for the truth of your word. Thank you for this story. Thank you for what you did for that woman, for her two boys, and their vision of God. Lord, will you do the same in our lives? Will you do the same for us? Lord, for those of us who are at a season where we have to trust you and believe you for what we don't have, oh God, help us not to step off the path, but may we press into it, Lord, knowing that our Lord knows the way through the wilderness and help us, oh God, to have the courage and the humility to do what's necessary, what needs to be done in order to to further experience the glory and intervention of our great God. Now, thank you, God, for what you will do. Dismiss us from this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, fellowship.